reading of your word, the lessons that we'll hear. Father, as we remember your son, Jesus, this morning, we thank you for, for him. We thank you that we can serve such a, a merciful and loving God. Father, we ask your blessings upon us this morning that all that we say and do will be pleasing to you, Father, that will align with what your word instructs us to do. Father, we pray for the body of believers here. Father, we pray for those that are struggling with health issues. We pray for Jimmy Wilgus at this time, Father, as he uh, undergoes his treatment. Pray that uh, it will be effective in eradicating the cancer, Father. We pray for strengthening and healing of his body, that he could be back with us soon. We continue to pray for John Klein as he recovers from his heart valve surgery and and be with Judy Jordan as she prepares to have a procedure done. And, and so many, Father, that are just dealing with, with health issues. And we pray for our shut-ins, Father. That they will be strengthened this day and, and comforted. And that we will do our part to reach out and, and look for opportunities to encourage them. Father, we uh, are so thankful for all the blessings that you give us each and every day the way that you sustain us, the way that you help us through this life. And we pray that we will empty our minds of worldly distractions at this time and we'll put our complete focus and mind upon you, Father, as we sing these praises to you and hear a word from your, a lesson from your word. And, and especially, Father, as we meditate upon Jesus and what he has done for us on that cross. We thank you for the hope that we have through him and we just ask that you'd be with us when we do fall short. It's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Please stand for the first song. First hymn this morning, number 19. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Number 19. <clears throat> Next hymn this morning, number 564, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us, 564. <clears throat> Sing the first three verses, and then Brother Rick Keister will have a scripture reading and prayer.
Scripture that Chris has asked me to read this morning is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23. Paul here is talking about what he sacrifices, what he becomes to share the gospel uh, with others. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are, who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, and I that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time acknowledging how great you are and how insignificant and small we are. We acknowledge you as the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, our master, our Lord, our God, our Savior. And the only reason that we have worth at all in this world and in this life is because you have granted us your favor by making us the crown of your creation, that part which you said, let us make man in our own, own image. And in that image, we find you as we live our lives, but mainly through your word. We pray, Father, that as we study your word, as we live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, that we will do everything we can to bear that image proudly and boldly before others. We realize, Father, that there are times when we don't do that, when the worldly side of us, the fleshly side of us, takes control or influences what we do and how we speak and what we think. 
We pray, Father, that as we consider you and your word and your glory this morning, and as we sing songs of praises to you, and as we come to you in prayer, as we do now, that we will focus our thoughts on you today at this time during this hour in a way that maybe we don't do so during the rest of the week, but maybe should. We thank you for this congregation, Father, for the group that meets here, the faithful Christians who, who regularly attend and, and worship and encourage one another and do good things in the community and to stand steadfastly for your word. We pray that we will always do so and that we will be able to influence others that we come in contact with, not only as an outgrowth of this congregation, but individually in our lives, that we might influence others with our thoughts, with our, our words, and with our behavior, and with our efforts to bring them to Christ and to you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have in just a few moments to participate in the Lord's Supper, that institution that your son began and initiated back on that Passover feast when he brought in a new type of remembrance for the Christians that would soon form your church here on this, on this uh, planet, this world. We pray, Father, that as we participate that we will discern that body and that blood that we will focus on that sacrifice that he willingly made after willingly leaving heaven to come to this earth to carry out his mission to save mankind and to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross. We pray, Father, that as we sing these songs that we will truly mean these words, that we will lift up our hearts, that we will glorify and praise you. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 784, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth? 784. We'll sing all three verses. <clears throat> He 
Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered, considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge by righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Yes, he is art. The person there that has taken away our sins. As we look back at this prophecy of Isaiah and the things that took place in Christ's life and what he went through for each and every one of us, we think of the beatings and the things that he took place. And something that I often think about is the cuts that was on his back from the lashes. And when they placed him on that cross and raised him up and that cross dropped down in that hole to stand him up, how the pressure on his back, the tearing of that flesh again after he had already been beaten and how that had to hurt. We've all gone through pain and suffering, but none of us has gone through the pain and suffering that he went through for us. He has set up a memorial for us. We have the bread, which represents that broken body, and we have the fruit of the vine, which represents his shed of blood. As we partake of these emblems that have been set up for us, let's remember the cruel cross and the suffering that he went through. Let us give thanks for the bread. Our Father, which art in heaven, we come to you thanking you for this privilege to assemble here we thank you, Father, for another privilege to surround this table. Father, as we partake of these emblems, we realize the suffering and the pain that your son Jesus went through for each and every one of us. And Father, we just pray that you will help us to remember him and each day of our lives to live for you. Bless this bread, Father, as we partake of it and help us to do so in a manner pleasing to you. We'll be praying in Christ's name. and Amen.
and just give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Our Father, again, we come to you thanking you for Jesus and his death upon the cross, the shedding of his blood. Father, we know that it's through the shedding of that blood, through our obedience unto you and through baptism, that we put on that death, that burial, and that resurrection, that we come in contact, Father, with that blood, and it's what washes us of our sins. We pray that you bless us now as we partake of this fruit of the vine and help us to do so in a manner pleasing to you. We pray in his name. Amen. At this time, we always say this concludes the Lord's Supper. But you know we ought to commune with Christ every day of our lives. This doesn't end the, our communion with him. This ends the communion serving that we do at this time. We ought to live each day as he would have us to do. We have at this time the opportunity to lay by in store and to give of our means. And this is so that the work of the church here in Rome can continue and many things, many deeds and things are done with those funds. We just uh, ask that each of us give with a generous heart, but give in a willing manner, not something that is demanded from us. Let us give thanks for our opportunity. Our Father, again, we thank you for the many, many blessings of this life. We know, Father, that everything that we have belongs to you, and you just let us use it, and we just pray that we do so in a manner pleasing to you. As we return a portion of that to you, we just pray that we do, do so in a cheerful manner. Be with us each day and watch over us, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 646, The Love of God, 646. So at this time, there are the two and three to five-year-olds, I believe, will be having children's Bible hour this morning. And then next week, there's a little bit of change in what takes place. But children's Bible hour for the two to five-year-olds today. <clears throat> The love of God is greater far than time or death can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest power and reaches to the lowest power. The guilty pair, the gallant pair, now gave his son to Invitation hymn for this morning, number 588, Sinners Jesus Will Receive, 588, Brother Chris. If Paul approached Jerusalem from the north, this would have been the scene he saw. In the foreground, you see the fortress of Antonio. That's not the, uh, the Temple Mount. You can't see it from the north as you approach Jerusalem. It's shadowed here by the fortress of Antonio. Most likely, this is probably the route that he would have taken as he approaches Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. This week, we're talking about uh, starting a series we're calling Christianity on Trial. Paul's going to walk into Jerusalem, and for the last several months as he's traveled toward Jerusalem, everybody that he's met has told him that he's going to be in chains there, that he's going to be bound, he's going to be imprisoned, that there's going to be beatings and pain waiting for him there, and still Paul inexorably trods toward Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem this time, he's going to meet with the elders, and including James, Jesus' half-brother, and they're going to give him some advice. You find it here in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Well, this is the beginning of it anyhow. The, the advice actually comes in just a little bit, but this is the beginning, and there's some things here we need to think through before we get into the advice section. 
In verse 17, he says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Just hold on right there. You probably need to underline gladly because it's, it's an interesting word. It means that they received them with open arms. There's going to be some tension between Paul and the Jewish Christians. There's, there's tension between Paul and Jewish anybody. And these Jewish Christians think that Paul has forsaken the law of Moses, that he's turned his back on it, that he's betrayed Moses' law, that he doesn't care anything about the purification rites or the Nazarite vows or, or circumcision or any of the things that were so important to Jewish people. They think that Paul's turned his back on them. That's not entirely true, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But that prejudice, that indication there, makes for a lot of tension between Paul and Jewish Christians. That's not true among these, these people, though. They received Paul gladly. They were so glad he was there, they probably hugged him when he walked through the door. They were excited he was there. They received him gladly. In verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and, to all, the elder, and all the elders were present. It's the Jerusalem church's elders. James is one of those elders, but Paul meets with all of them. In verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. This takes a while. Um, the word here uh, is that he, he does one by one, right? He, he's, he's telling them stories of all the fantastic, amazing things that God has done through the Gentile Christians, has, has done for them and through them. God has smiled on them. They are welcome, just as welcome as Paul was welcomed by the Jerusalem Christians and by the church there in Jerusalem. God has welcomed, even more so, the Gentile Christians. In fact, he's done a plethora of amazing things through them and for them in an effort to welcome that whole side of the world to himself. That's what Paul's goal is here. I don't know if uh, a chip on the shoulder is the right way to think about this or, or the right way to phrase this, but Paul has this... Um, Feeling, I suppose, at least I have this feeling about Paul, that maybe he thinks that the, the, the Jerusalem Christians, the Jewish Christians, seem to think that the Gentile Christians aren't trying very hard. They're not as devoted as they ought to be. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have the history with Yahweh that the Jerusalem Christians do, that the Jewish Christians do. And so they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't function right. They're... they're their faith isn't as full as it ought to be, right? I think that's what Paul's afraid of, that the Jewish people think that. And he says, I, I want to dissuade you from that idea. These people, God has smiled on them and, and they have welcomed him. Uh, they have sold everything out of their lives that don't look like him, and, and they are, they've, they've transformed, and he's got story after story after story. This took hours for him to tell these stories. Think about all the trips that Paul has gone on to this point. He's been through all three of the missionary journeys, and he's got story after story. Let me tell you about the Christians in Philippi. You won't believe what the Christians in Thessalonica have done. Uh, the Christians in Corinth, uh, you know it as a place of, of licentiousness, of, of evil, but God has a people there that have called out of darkness, and, and they, they're confused on some aspects, but they're doing incredible things for the kingdom, and, and they're working hard for Him. Let me tell you about the church in Colossae and Ephesus and all these places, and He's recounting story after story after story of these people that you know, you know their stories too. Don't you? The, the church in Philippi sending Paul money time and again, at least two times, just months after their own conversion, right? He's telling stories like that of, of Lydia coming to Christ, though she is wealthy. She didn't let her money get in the way of her coming. Story after story after story. This is Paul's recounting these incredible things that God has done. They don't have newspapers. And so he is, he's, he's, he's recounting to them all these incredible things that God has done through the Gentiles because these Jewish Christians need to hear it. That's a two-sided story, though, isn't it? 
The Jewish Christians need to know that the Gentile Christians are just as good as they are. That, they're, that they've done everything that God is required to do to be saved and that they are devoted and that they're sold out, that they're looking and working hard for the kingdom. That's what the Jewish Christians need to hear. Paul needs to hear that the Jewish Christians are doing the same thing. He probably knows that. He's met Jewish people along the way that have been just as devoted as the pagans, just as devoted as the Gentiles, who have sacrificed just as much and maybe more than some of the Gentiles have. But there's this idea in the Jewish Christians' minds that Paul has turned his back on Moses' law and... He just doesn't care about any of those things now. And in fact, when he's out there in Asia Minor and when he's in uh, Corinth and all these places in the pagan world, he's just telling those Jewish Christians, they don't have to follow the law of Moses anymore. It's not important. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to observe the feasts. You don't have to take these vows. None of that's important anymore. He's not doing that. But that's the impression that the Jewish Christians have of him. So some of this prejudice, some of these impressions have to be changed. We'll talk about that in just a second, but let's get through the rest of this text. In verse 20, he says, And when they heard it, when they heard all these stories, these, these hours of Paul recounting what all the God has done through the Gentile Christians, when they heard it, they glorified God. This is amazing. God has done this incredible thing through these Gentile Christians, and he's still working, he's active, and he's moving, and he's doing things, and we're just happy to see it happen. They glorified God. And they said to him, to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Underline thousands, because what, what they're really saying there, I'm assuming James is speaking, um, it's just an assumption on my part, but whoever's speaking... When he says thousands, he's saying myriads of thousands, tens of thousands. Whether that's hyperbole or whether it's not, I tend to think maybe not. But he's saying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish people have come to Christ too. And God is doing incredible things through them as well. Don't, don't offend them. Let's be very careful here so that, so that your presence doesn't offend them. Acts 21 is a difficult passage. Um, there's all kinds of things uh, in, this, in this chapter that, that make it difficult. But one of which is what Paul is told to do. Um, let, let's read through the rest of this text real quick and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what they tell him to do. <coughs> Listen to how James uh, details these Jewish Christians' lives, are, are they half-hearted? Um, have, they, have they given up just a little bit for the cause of Christ? No. They are all, every one of them, are all, they're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them, that, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. This is offensive to the Jewish Christians, so offensive that they're not going to listen to Paul, so offensive that they're going to try to kill Paul. We know that because that's what eventually happens. He takes measures, goes through incredible links, links that you will that will offend you, links that he goes to links that will offend you, so that he doesn't offend them, and they still try to kill him. So put yourself in the first century just for a second in this room with James and Paul and the other elders. Paul, we got to do something because there are thousands and thousands upon thousands of Jews that are coming to Christ. But you're a stumbling block for them. You're getting in their way. And, and Paul doesn't want to get in anybody's way, right? In, in the book of Romans, he's going to say, well... You, to the weaker brother and to the stronger brother, you, you, you give so that you don't get in anyone's way of coming to Christ. And so he's, he's not going to want to be in anyone's way. He's not going to want to be the one that makes it harder for someone to come to Christ. And so he listens when these guys talk. And so James speaks up 
in the following verses here in, in Acts 21. He says, tell you what we do. We've got four guys in the, here in Jerusalem. I, I tend to think that they're not Christians. I, I think they're Jewish people, but maybe they're, they're, they're on James's prospect list. Do we have a prospect list? I think these are people that, that James is thinking, well, they're, they're awfully close to Christ. They've, they've got a lot of, ah, they got some hang-ups. But there's these four guys that I know that uh, they've, they've uh, uh, made a vow. And it's probably a Nazarite vow. Um, and so there are some expenses that come along with that. I think what would be a good thing for you to do, this is what the Jerusalem elders tell Paul, go with these guys. Purify yourself. Because you've been living in, in Gentile lands for an awful long time. Associating with them, eating with them, and now you're unclean. And so even if the Jewish people wanted to listen to you, even if you were to sit down with some of them and have a Bible study, you can't because you're unclean. It's, it's an immediate slammed door in your face. you got to get through the door to be able to talk to these people. So we got to figure, figure out a way for you to open the door. we got to figure out a way to open the door for you to these people. We know God's doing incredible things to the Gentiles. We believe that. We've seen that. And we believe what you said, Paul. What you need, also need to understand is that God's doing incredible things through the Jewish people. And we know you know that. But there's, there's this, this roadblock that this impression they have of you has given to them. And so we gotta, we got to massage that impression a bit. we got to work on that impression a little bit. So we want you to go with our four guys that are under this vow. Pay their expenses. If, if the scholars are right, and this is actually the Nazarite vow these guys are taking, there are some offerings, some, some sin offerings that they will have to pay for. Paul pays for those things. This is one of the things, this is one of the reasons Acts 21 is problematic for people. Because Paul will say, and he will die on this mountain, there is no other way to be saved other than through Christ and baptism. Circumcision won't do it. The law of Moses won't do it. It can't do it. You be baptized, that's the only way to be saved. There's not another. Peter agrees with him. There's no other name under which heaven that men may be saved than Jesus' name, right? Through the power of baptism. That's the only way to be saved. So it's interesting here that Paul's going to, if the scholars are right, pay for these guys' sin offering, take this Nazarite vow. It almost looks like he's going back into Judaism. Something that he would blast Peter for in Galatians chapter 2. So what's really going on here? Well, I think he's working on his impression at least the impression that the Jewish people have of him. Let me work you through some of this stuff. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, Paul's going to be at another meeting with James and with the other uh, elders in the Jerusalem church. The other apostles are there, and they have this problem. Some teachers from Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians, uh, have come from Jerusalem, and they've gone to Antioch, Paul's home congregation. And they've taught the people there that you have to not only be baptized, but you have to be circumcised as well. And Paul says, I'm not standing for it. That's not true. There's no other power. There's no other salvation. There's no other way to get to Christ other than through baptism. You have to be immersed into his name for the, free, for the purpose of the forgiveness of your sins for that to happen. You can't get there through circumcision. I'm not standing for this. That's what he says. Acts 15. Go back and read it. The Jerusalem elders and all the rest of the apostles agree. There is no other name under heaven by which men should be saved. Jesus is the way. Salvation is what, or uh, baptism is what he is said to do to be saved. There's no other route. I can't get to him any other way. And so that's what they tell the churches. Circumcision is not a big deal. In Acts chapter 16, the very next chapter, Paul runs in contact with this young man that he's going to grow to love. His name's Timothy. He becomes a son of the faith to Paul. Paul takes him under his wing and he teaches him everything he knows. He loves Timothy and he puts him in situations in which Paul needs him to function at a high capacity and Timothy apparently excels in every one of them. Timothy's a good man. Paul meets him, but Timothy's dad is Greek. His mom is Jewish, and so he was not circumcised when he was young. Usually Jewish boys are circumcised on the eighth day. It's what Moses said, right? There's a protein in your blood that 
makes clotting um, better. It's, it's higher than 100% on the eighth day after a child's born. And so that day was the day God said you need to be circumcised. If you're going to do a surgery on a baby, the eighth day is the one to do it on. Because the clottings, uh, the blood clots faster on that day than any other day. So that surgery is when, uh, that day is when the surgery normally happens. It didn't happen on that day for Timothy because his dad's Greek. And so he's not circumcised. So now when he's older, he's probably in his 30s by the time Paul meets him. You know what Paul does in Acts 16, verse 3? Go back and read it. He circumcises them. Why in the world does he do that? What's going on? Is circumcision important or is it not important? Right? In Acts 15, you say it's not important at all. You can't get to Christ through circumcision. Circumcision is not what saves you. Baptism is what now saves you. That's what Peter tells us too, right? Circumcision doesn't matter. In Acts 16, verse 3, circumcision seems to matter. So what's going on? I think whatever's going on in these two passages help us figure out what's going on in Acts chapter 21. Paul has made an agreement here with Timothy. Timothy knows, because I'm sure Paul would have told him, circumcision is not what saves you. Baptism is what saves you. It's the only way to get to the Father. If you want to get inside of Christ, you have to go through baptism. Circumcision doesn't matter at all. But there's a whole world of people out there that we come in contact with that will slam the door in your face and you won't ever get to talk to them if you're not circumcised. And so it makes sense to me. It's wise in this position to me, to an inspired apostle, to circumcise you. So I'm going to do it because I think it will open up some doors for you. And so they do it. The exact same thing is going on in Acts chapter 21, I think. It's hard. Way smarter people than I have dealt with Acts 21. But this is my judgment on Acts 21. It is, this is closed doors that Paul is trying to open. Because he's not going to have an opportunity to teach the Jewish people if they think he's forsaken the law of Moses. So he has to finesse this impression of himself among them. He's not going to do anything sinful here. He's not going to make any concessions that are unbiblical, extra-biblical, abiblical. He's not going to do any of those things. He's going to stop short, just short of sin, so that he can win these people. So he has an opportunity with these people. And so that's what I wanted us to think about for the remainder of our time today. We have to do everything in our power to remove prejudice against ourselves that reflect on God. That's what Paul's doing here. He's removing prejudice against himself that is now reflected on God. He's not going to have an opportunity with these Jewish people. He can't study with them because they won't sit down and talk with them. Because they think he's unclean. Because they think he's a betrayer. There's some things Paul can do. There's, there's, some things that he, there's something he can do about some of these things. There's some roads he can't cross anymore. He can't say, yeah, circumcision is what now saves you. He can't say that. He doesn't believe that. He knows that's not true. He can't say, and he won't say, that you should follow the law of Moses. But there are some concessions that he can make that will open the door for these people. Some of them, the ones that want to listen... The ones that are, whose hearts have been opened were closed when Paul showed up because, ah, this guy, he's telling people to ignore the law of Moses, that it's trash, that it never meant anything, and it meant something to me, right? That's what they're thinking. It meant something to me. And Paul's saying, I never said any of those things. I never said it was trash. I said, this is important, and this is what brought you to Christ because Moses was always pointing to Christ. There's never a moment in Moses' law where it doesn't point ultimately to Christ. You just need to see it. I'm not saying Moses is the law of trash. I'm saying it, it's the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of this law. And so he makes this concession with, with his purification rites. And, and he even, in Acts chapter 18, he will take the Nazarite vow for the exact same reason, I think. He's just trying to open doors. And so maybe there's something in your life that has prejudiced someone else around you against God. What is it? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's your past. Like Paul's past here is coming up against them. Early on, you remember 
when uh, he was baptized and he, he came to Damascus and Ananias baptizes him and then he tries to meet with the church. What's the church do? Whoa there, bud. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know you. Uh, we know who you are, but we don't, we don't want you in our assemblies for sure. They hold him at arm's length, right? Because of his past. And now the Jewish people are doing the exact same thing that the Gentiles did to him in the be- uh, that the Gentiles did to him in the beginning, that the Christians did to him in the beginning. Because of his past, they're holding him at arm's length. So maybe it's your past that's gotten in the way. And you need to have some conversations with people and say, listen, that, that's not who I am anymore. And Jesus has changed me and he can change you too. Oh, there's power here. He left heaven to die for you. And now you have a decision to make. Don't let my past get in your way. Maybe there's something like that. That's prejudicing people against, against you, against God through you. It's a reverse evangelism. So in trials, when we experience trials, and they're coming, right? But when we do, this is one of the things that will help us. We need to remove all prejudices, all impressions that are negative We need to remove all those things so that we can get in a Bible study with people, so that they'll they'll listen. There's enough pushback on the gospel without me getting in the way. Right? It's hard enough for people to change. It's hard enough for people to accept this incredible, beautiful, powerful truth that tells them to forsake themselves. That tells them to put themselves last and to put him first, that he's worth dying for, and that he's everything in life, and everything has to change now. That's a hard enough sell without me getting in the way, without you getting in the way. And so we try to remove all prejudices, all negative impressions about us so that they can see him. That becomes more and more apparent, more and more necessary in our trials than it does in our good days. So what's that for you? That's something you have to struggle with and think about it and answer for yourself this week. What's holding you back? Are are there negative impressions someone has about you? And and how can you go about fixing that? That was the first thing Paul did. When he comes into this city, he does the unthinkable. When, when scholars come to this passage, everybody scratches their head because they don't know what to do with this. Uh, Paul says Moses' law, it, it's not the way to salvation. But here he seems to indicate that it is. He's not indicating that it's the way to salvation. He's saying this is getting in the way. Your impression of me is getting in the way, so I'm going to kick it out of the way so that I can get in a study with somebody. If it's just one person, worth it. If it's nobody, but I didn't shut the door on somebody five years down the road, worth it. He's not going to allow his impre- people's impression of him to get in the way of them coming to Christ, and it was going to get in the way. So what's that for you? What's, what's getting in people's way of hearing Christ through you. Think through that this week. Walk through Acts chapter 21. Read through this passage. Pray through this passage. Think about it. Reflect on what you need to do, conversations you need to have, the lifestyle that you need to change maybe, the attitudes that you need to change maybe. If you're struggling this morning, we want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, it is the only way to salvation. There's not another. If you've not done that, you're you're lost in your sin. You're still condemned for that. You're still being held accountable for all the things that you've done that are outside of Him. If that doesn't have to be the case, you can have your sins washed away today as you're immersed into Christ and through the power of His blood, your sins are washed away. If you have that need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Tell this word of grace to all.
morning church family hope everyone is doing okay this morning if you're visiting with us we are it's an honor and privilege to have you worship with us this morning if you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card and a pew in front of you and fill it out and place it in a black box or just hand it to a member beside you we'd love to have a record of your attendance a couple of announcements before we are dismissed uh, today life group one that's Rick's life group will be meeting after services uh, this morning in the middle auditorium for lunch and then also uh, life group five that's Mike's life group will be meeting this morning after services in the old old auditorium as well for lunch um, also uh, next um, <clears throat> this coming Saturday uh, September 16th at 6 p.m. life group four that's Jerry's life group uh, will have a potluck dinner potluck dinner at the Payne's house um, his address is posted out in the foyer board. Uh, please let Alan Payne know that you're planning on coming so that way he can plan accordingly uh, uh, for uh, that event at his house. Also, uh, September 17th, next Sunday, Gary Leap's Life Group will be meeting at, after services as well for lunch. Uh, and also, Life Group 3 is Jeremy's Life Group will be meeting uh, after morning services as well. Uh, the food pantry is needing some items. Uh, we're very low right now in the food pantry on a lot of items in, in there. Uh, there's a list out in the foyer board. If you can help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, also, Wednesday is the last day uh, to sign your child up for Rush. That's at Freed Hardman University on September 22nd through the 24th. So Wednesday is the last day to sign your child up for that if they're planning on going to Rush. Also, Young at Heart is September the 19th that we are planning on going to Cam's Ham. We'd love to have you. Um, anybody's welcome to come. We'd love to have you. It's always a good time. Um, but uh, Cam's Ham on September the 19th, Young at Heart. Also, Ladies Weekly Bible Classes will meet Monday, September the 10th at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, all ladies are invited to this. Um, the ladies will be studying the providence of God, so it should be a really good study. So I do encourage you uh, to go to that. Yes. Okay, it's the 11th tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, today's the 10th. 
Um, also, this evening, after services, Kevin Lyles will be speaking uh, here at the building in the middle auditorium. He will be bringing his pottery wheel and speaking about uh, the clay verse and scriptures, and everyone's welcome to that. Uh, it should be a good time. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus and Jim Haney and Tanya Shamblin in your prayers at this time. Um, as they continue with their cancer treatment. Keep Judy Jordan in your prayers as well. She's supposed to have surgery uh, this coming week, um, so keep her in your prayers. Uh, keep, continue to keep Carolyn O'Lynn in your prayers. That's Jerry's sister. Uh, Emily Bowen is having an MRI this morning on her shoulder. Uh, she has torn some muscles in her shoulder and uh, is supposed to have an MRI today, so keep her in your prayers that uh, all the tests come out uh, good. Also, continue to keep John Klein in your prayers as he recovers at home. Uh, keep Jim Martin in your prayers as he continues on his rehab. And um, also, uh, Sean Steiner, uh, keep the Steiner family in your prayers. He passed away Thursday night uh, after a long battle with cancer. Um, so play, please pray for this family at this time. He was a deacon at Main Street Church of Christ. So keep, uh, keep the Steiner family in your prayers. And also keep uh, all the ladies that are traveling back from the uh, ladies' retreat uh, this, this weekend. Keep them in your prayers as they get back home safely. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 173, God of Our Fathers. Sing the first two verses, and then Brother Derek Knapp will have a prayer. Two verses, God of our Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be in this place to worship together with our brothers and sisters. And Father, I, I pray as we heard the message that was spoken this morning that we search our lives and search our hearts and, and search our prejudices and anything that might be keeping us, Lord, from doing your work the best that we can. Father, I'm so thankful that you gave us the privilege to be your ambassadors in this earth, to, to show the light of Christ through not only our words, but also our actions. Father, remind us to, um, to study your word, to, to know it, and to truly apply it to our lives, Lord, that we might be that light, and that we use your word as our wisdom to lead others to the the path of salvation through baptism in Jesus. Father, remind us daily that we are, are here to serve just as you served us. Give us strength, give us passion, that we might be the ambassadors that you've called us to be, and that everyone who looks upon us sees, sees you as we are following. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>